This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guest today, we're honored to welcome Isla Akshamia, PhD Chair, School of Architecture Director, Transforming Places, Practices, and Pedagogies, Collaborative Professor at the University of Utah, and the Syraclad Guest Speaker. The next Architecture Appreciation Webinar is scheduled for October 21st in 2021. For more information, feel free to visit the website at capcap.utah.edu. Isla, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. We're really honored to have you. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm honored to be here. Isla, we'd like to start our show off with uh, a, uh, if you have a quote or a mantra or an axiom that uh, either defines or really means something to you personally and professionally? Sure. I don't have a specific quote in mind, but one of my first principles in life is learn as long as you live. So I, as an educator and a professor and a practitioner as well, uh, I'm deeply invested into education, but I also try to learn as much as possible um, um, through traveling experiences, um, you know, learning about different cultures. So Learning as long as you live, something that is important for me and I guess to other people as well. On the subject of of your traveling and cultures, how much does that travel and culture have to play in your teaching of architecture and your experience of architecture? It does. Uh, It connects so much to architectural education. Um, I would like to mention that when I was an uh, undergraduate student at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, I had an opportunity to do a study abroad, basically a full year of study uh, abroad in Paris, France. That was the best year of my life, being able to experience different cultures, different educational models as well, but to see different styles, different ways that cities are designed and um, occupied. I think understanding different contexts and cultures and traditions and history really helps us frame our architectural design and solutions. So even if we're designing new construction in a modern way, in a contemporary way, understanding who we are designing for and what place we're designing for is extremely important. So whenever I talk to my students, I always advise to do a study abroad, to travel as much as possible and learn because it helps helps us um, sort of improve our perspective on the world and be better architects. I love that. Be better architects. How is that, that desire to learn? Is that something that has uh, been with you for as long as you can recall? Yes, I think so. I think so. I've always been interested in learning and finding new things. And maybe I can tell you a bit about my background and sure. why I sort of decided to go into architecture. I've always had this creative side, artistic. I was interested in design, art, but I was always always very strong in math and sciences. And architecture was a perfect match of 
um, kind of artistic and creative side and technological, technical, uh, scientific side. I think in architecture, you use both sides of your brain. So I've always been passionate about this particular, particular discipline because of that reason. And um, learning and lifelong learning becomes extremely, extremely important. And um, I guess architectural discipline is also uh, extremely interdisciplinary. Like an architect is a designer, but we need to understand engineering. We need to understand structures. We need to understand mechanical systems. We have to understand the business side and business models as well. So architectural profession tends to be extremely interdisciplinary, and I like that um, uh, as well. It's not like um, you only do one type of work all the time. It's such a dynamic profession. I like you, you talked uh, talk a little bit about the business side of it. I'm not sure how often it, that's discussed or if it's really on the curriculum for architecture school, but can you share that uh, that part of architecture? Sure. Yes, the business side and running architectural firms and um, uh, thinking about the organizational models is extremely important. So we typically have three different types of architectural practices, small size, medium size, and uh, large firms. And this really depends on the number of employees that we have in a firm and then the types of projects that we tend to practice in. So understanding the different models and um, understanding the business side for students is extremely important. So typically architectural programs have a class dedicated to architectural practice, uh, but this is becoming more and more prevalent and more and more important because we need to um, prepare future architects and our students to understand contracts, um, profits, the business side, the financial aspects, risk, liability, and so on. So unfortunately, when I was a student, I guess I didn't really pay a lot of attention in my professional practice class. I learned a lot of aspects on the job when I actually joined the profession. But now thinking back, I realized, oh my God, it's such an important class. It's such an important piece of education. So now in um, architectural education and in this leadership role, I tend to really uh, increase the focus on professional practice and classes that teach students about the profession and that prepare students for um, going into professional practice right away after graduating. So I always tell to my students, please pay attention in professional professional practice class because this is important. <laughs> yes, that's that's great that you uh, that you acknowledge that that's that vital. How are your students now, say, versus, say, five years ago, if you're able to have a contrast? Yes, I would say that architectural education is changing. But when I compare this class to maybe five years ago, I would say students are more mature. Uh, they um, are better prepared, you know, when I compare this generation to my generation, for example. I guess students today are more prepared, more connected. Uh, they understand the importance of digital technologies, for example, or environmental concerns, impacts of climate change in the built environment. So I would have to say that uh, they are a bit more mature and uh, they realize the uh, challenges facing our society in general, but also architectural practice. So overall, I think they're a little bit more prepared when uh, compared to, you know, when I was a student, for example. 
Now, how, if you can talk a bit about that, the impact of climate change in the built environment, I'd love to hear it. And I think your audience would as well. Yes, absolutely. So that has been my research area for a very long time, for the last 15 years or so. So I specialize in building science, high-performance buildings, energy efficiency in buildings, and innovations in architecture. And one of my research areas is understanding the effects of uh, changing climate and how can we design better performing buildings to improve energy performance, to improve uh, occupants' comfort and satisfaction with the built environment. And I would have to say buildings are the largest contributor to uh, climate change because buildings use more than 40% of energy. And to operation, we create carbon dioxide, which then adds to the <laughs> climate change. And based on some of the research that I have been working on for the last um, decade, I would say, I think one of the uh, most significant um, challenges facing the built environment and architecture when it comes to the climate change is increased cooling loads in the future. So our temperature is rising. So I think the only climate that would benefit from climate change is Alaska. Oh. The rest of the United States, we're actually looking into increasing cooling loads. So we have to figure out new building systems and new building technologies to fight and um, improve building performance to try to reduce the energy consumption and then reduce the impacts of climate change. So it's kind of this never-ending cycle, right? If we don't do something right now, we're only going to be in a worse shape in the future. Our buildings are going to require more energy to operate. So right now we have to look into new building systems, um, new ways of designing high-performance buildings. And building enclosure and building facades become... Uh, uh, building facades and roofing systems because they're like the first barrier between the exterior and interior environment, it becomes extremely important for high-performance buildings. This is fascinating. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Siraclad. We're talking today with Ayla Akshamiya, PhD, Chair, School of Architecture Director at the University of Utah. For more information, feel free to visit the website at capcap.utah.edu. Again, that is cap cap.utah.edu. Ayla, can you, can you share with us some of the, you talked about the building envelope and the, the facades and how, how it's imperative now. At one time it was a good idea, but now it's becoming imperative. Share with us your experience with that. Exactly. Ooh, uh, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> Please take your time. Uh, sure, sure. It's I, I specialize in building enclosure design and building science and designing for uh, climate change and designing high performance building envelopes. I also teach a class to students and to professionals on this particular topic. So I will try to be as brief as possible. <laughs> One of the first things that we can do is balance the amount of glass um, and opaque areas. So opaque areas of the facade system, uh, systems are typically more insulated and more high performance with the higher R value. So when we try to design a high performance facade system, we need to balance how much glass and glazing we have versus opaque elements. So reducing the window to wall ratio is extremely important, but we need to balance that for access to daylight, um, views to the outside and so on. 
So generally speaking, the energy codes and rules of thumb tell us that we shouldn't use more than 40% of windows on our facades, but we can basically optimize that based on building orientation. So for example, in Northern hemispheres, we can have more glass and glazing on the Northern sides and less glazing on the East, West and South. So these are all parts of the passive design strategies, things that do not cost a lot of money, but can save um, energy. We can also use shading devices. So typically on east and west facades, we can use vertical shading elements to block uh, uh, unwanted solar radiation. And then on southern facades, we can use horizontal shading elements. And beefing up insulation and improving the thermal performance of our building enclosures is extremely, extremely important. So all of these things that I just discussed are passive design techniques. Again, they don't cost a lot of money, but they can significantly reduce energy consumption associated with operational buildings. And then we have emerging facade materials, innovative technologies. We would probably need another podcast to talk about all of those. Wow. But um, overall, the right strategy is to try to reduce the energy consumption as much as possible by using passive design techniques. So shading, improved thermal um, insulation, um, reducing solar heat gain, providing views to the outside, providing sufficient daylight, and then using advanced materials or technologies to reduce uh, energy consumption even more. What got you so fascinated and interested in the envelope part facet of buildings? Right, really interesting question. I think there are two uh, reasons for that. The first one, it has to do with the design and aesthetic features because building facades and building enclosures are so important when it comes to defining the aesthetic characteristics of any building. That's what we associate with the architectural design. Like building occupants and people, you know, we don't see like floor plans. We see the building enclosure, the building facade. So one part is basically uh, relating to the uh, architectural expression, um, uh, design aspects. And I would say the other major reason is because building facades, uh, these are kind of the, it's like a building, uh, it's like human skin. It's the first layer of protection against the exterior environment. And it impacts performance of our buildings so much. So that comes sort of the building science component. So I would say, again, going back to the left and right sides of my brain, that's why I'm interested in building facades, the creative side and aesthetic side, but also the building science because it influences performance of buildings so much. And Ayla, just this is a, a side question. Just going through your respective city and towns, do you see a number of buildings that could benefit from a better enclosure? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, generally speaking, uh, new construction is, um, we're doing a whole lot better on designing facade systems and thinking about some of these. But retrofitting existing buildings is a major concern. And I think it will be kind of a growing area of architectural practice and profession because Many, many existing buildings have not been designed, taking into account these either passive design techniques to improve performance or active. So, and we have so many examples of poor um, building envelopes on existing buildings, either lack of insulation or 
uh, low performing glass or lack of shading. I mean, it depends, but generally speaking, existing buildings, I would say that have been built, designed and built prior to uh, early 1990s. Um, we have a lot more work to do on upgrading those existing buildings and especially building enclosure and building facades. Have, have you ever thought out a number? Is there any studies that say a number, say, uses out of 10 dwellings, 10 buildings, seven could use it? Is there ever any statistics? Yes, on there are existing studies and, um, okay. and research. And unfortunately, I would say, based on the studies that I remember, uh, right now we're only um, retrofitting between 5 and 10% of existing buildings. So we have so much opportunity to focus on existing buildings. And again, one of the other areas of my research has focused on understanding retrofitting strategies for existing buildings to improve their performance, especially through building enclosure design, but other strategies as well, like in, in using uh, energy efficient HVAC systems, lighting systems, also renewable mm. energy systems to meet net zero energy goals in existing buildings. So if anybody's interested out, uh, out there, I would be happy to share publications that look into uh, different strategies and what is the right kind of combination of design strategies to minimize the costs and uh, maximize energy um, improvements. What's the, if you have a number, what would be the return on uh, the classic return of investment if a building owner decides to go ahead and, and make the, uh, the building envelope as as up to date, if not even better right now? Is there a return for sure. them if you quantify it? Yes, and we typically look at that in professional practice when we're focusing on retrofitting buildings. We typically have to look into those numbers and data for clients. But I would have to say it depends on the building typology first. So are we dealing with a residential building or are we dealing with a commercial, commercial, office, case. Yes. commercial office building? Sure. I think it depends on the life cycle. Is um, um, it really depends on the life cycle that we're considering for for the building? Some of the technologies, uh, the simple bay pack can be you know three to five years, and then clients are really interested in using those uh, technologies. But some of the more advanced technologies can be up to fifty years, and then in some cases, clients still are interested in using those technologies to try to reduce the energy consumption as much as possible. So again, it really depends on kind of the combination of the building type, the life cycle that we're looking, like the operational life cycle for the building, and which type of technology are we looking into or a combination of technologies. Can you share with us some examples? You don't have to name names, but some examples of uh, some b buildings and structures that are doing an excellent job of exactly what you're expressing. Uh, not right now. <laughs> Maybe okay. I can look. Yeah. But I would, I would say like when you look at the costs, like simple passive design strategies that we have been discussing, like improving insulation, improving thermal performance, reducing thermal bridging, this does not cost a lot of money and it's not also visible, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, but it improves the, the, the building, uh, building performance. And then in some cases, if we're, if we're completely reskinning the building and designing a new building enclosure, uh, that can be quite interesting from the design perspective as well, but more costly. Uh, so it depends on kind of the scope of, of, uh, of work. This is so, uh, this is awesome. I love this show. 
You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Siraclad. We're talking today with Isla Akshamia, PhD, Chair of the School of Architecture Director at the University of Utah. For more information, visit their website at cap.utah.edu. Again, that's capcap.utah.edu. Isla, with business and uh, commerce constantly evolving, uh, the expectations for results or outcomes evolve as well. What's changed in your experience? I know we touched on it a little bit, but what's changed in your experience over the last, say, five years, three to five years? Sure. Excellent question, Tom. I think I would maybe have to, the, I would have to increase the time frame to 10 years. Okay. Um, when we talk about innovations in architecture, uh, the last decade has seen so many changes and so many improvements in building technologies, in new materials, in new systems, in cost construction techniques, in digital technologies, and so on. I think if we were to graph like the history of architecture, engineering, and construction, I would say the last 20 years have seen the most changes. Um, for those of you who might be interested, I published a book on innovations in architecture in 2016. So nice. I've, I've researched and tracked uh, kind of the role of um, innovation in architecture. I would have to say that one of the most um, important aspects that's changing is the role of research in the profession. So hmm. up until the last decade, most of the research in architecture, engineering, and construction was conducted at the academic institutions, uh, national uh, research laboratories, nonprofits. Architectural firms typically did not conduct research. But I would say over the last decade, that has been changing as well. And again, the challenges are facing the architectural profession, but also these new technologies, techniques, new materials are requiring research to occur in professional settings as well. So I think that's probably one of the biggest changes from the professional side, having integrated research into practice, because our, our industry is risky as well. And when it comes to new materials or, or, or technologies, we have to investigate uh, the effects of, of those like physical properties, long-term performance, payback that we just discussed previously. So I would have to say the role of research in the architectural profession is becoming more profound and it's definitely changing the, the practice. So I think that's like one umbrella. And I think the other umbrella uh, focuses on improving building performance, trying to design sustainable buildings, trying to improve um, building performance and reduce the impacts of climate change to built environment. I would have to say that's like the second category. And then the third category is the role of digital tools, uh, uh, digital technologies for design, like building information modeling, for example, or use a virtual uh, reality for design, construction, and so on, and digital fabrication as well. So I would have to say these, these three are probably three different categories of uh, uh, sort of aspects that had profound changes on the architectural profession over the last decade. Well answered. Outstanding. Can you share with us, uh, you being the guest speaker for the, uh, the, the Syraclad Architecture Appreciation Webinar, that, uh, I, I like that, Architecture Appreciation. Um, share with us a bit about that, your experience and uh, what you're looking forward to. Uh, architecture Appreciation. 
So I, one of my pet peeves is, has been trying to democratize architecture and make architecture accessible for everyone. So rather for, for a selected group of people, I think if you think about architecture and built environment, we, our work influences everyone. It's sort of very similar to medical field, right? Medical and health field. So um, architects and our work, you know, we're designing cities, we're designing buildings. It impacts society in very profound ways. So uh, something that I have been interested in working um, really hard is trying to democratize access to good design and architecture. So making it accessible to everyone. Um, uh, because beautiful cities, beautiful schools, our homes can impact our satisfaction and happiness, yeah. you know, there's, yes. I think I would, one of the future research projects that I have in mind is kind of the relationship between architecture and happiness. What types of spaces oh. make, a, make us happy yeah. as well? Um, so, yes. <laughs> I, I love this. What makes you so fascinated with all this? I'm obviously fascinated with it. So what is just driving you beyond architecture even? Sure, I think maybe this kind of, again, relationship between like the beauty, the beauty of okay. the built environment and um, how much, how the, the profound impact of our environment on our lives and who we are, our learning, our working. So well-designed spaces, again, can make us um, uh, happy, make us healthy. Um, poorly designed uh, spaces can negatively impact our lives, our health, and so on. So I think my personal satisfaction and kind of interest in architecture comes from this. Like, if you look around you, it's this is it. So that's why I'm fascinated. And I'm always fascinated, fascinated into looking to ways to improve the built environment. Isla, can you share with us uh, anything that we may not have touched on in, in your show today that you'd like to share with your audience? I don't think so, uh, but if there are any follow-up questions or if anybody's interested in follow-up conversations, feel free to reach out to me and we can have follow-up discussions on innovations on, our, on architecture or relationships between architecture yeah. and happiness or anything else that we discussed today or that we didn't have time to discuss. Yeah, before we go, let's do the one relationship between architecture and happiness to, to close out your show today. What, what, what do you feel? How you, you shared a little bit, but can you sure. dive just a little deeper into that? Sure. So not only the design of spaces, but like building enclosure, how much daylight, sunlight. Like personally, I'm always fascinated by light and kind of this interplay of sunlight and the interior spaces. That makes me happy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. But I like watching shadows and interplay. It makes me, again, uh, happy. And having connection to, out to, to people through architecture, having like visibility, like for example, in my office, I have um, glass uh, glass wall and I see students. So having like physical connection versus a solid wall. So again, uh, that particular aspect, having a glass wall makes me happy because I have connection to my students. This, is, this, this has been great. Ila, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on uh, on your show today. Thank you very much. I hope we, we've got to have you back again. I hope you consider being a, a, a guest again. Thank you, Tom. I definitely will. I think we have a lot more to discuss. And thank. Uh, I would like to thank all of the audience for listening to our show today. Oh, I'm sure it's their pleasure as well. Uh, again, thank you very much, Isla. Our guest today has been Isla Akshamiya. 
PhD Chair, School of Architecture Director at the University of Utah, and a Syriclad guest speaker for the next Architecture Appreciation Webinar scheduled for October 21st, 2021. For more information, feel free to visit the website at cap.utah.edu. Again, that's capcap.utah.edu. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syriclad. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is recorded from the offices at Syriclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location. The executive producer and host of the Architecture and Innovation is Tom Dioro, and the senior audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. If you wish to contact us, our email address is podcast at syriclad.com. Again, that's podcasts at syriclad.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Thank you.